like us in every way, from Hebrews. Since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity, so that by the, his death he might destroy him who holds the power of death. This is, that is the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. For surely it is not angels he helps, but Abraham's descendants. For this reason, he had to be made like his brothers in every way, in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God, and that he might make atonement for the sins of the people, because he himself suffered when he was tempted. He is able to help those who are being tempted. This is God's word. This is our story. Thanks. Christmas. Uh, it's a time of stories and a season of invitations. You've started getting them already. Maybe you're a bit stressed out by how many you're getting. At this time of year, the calendar fills up, right? We're invited to all kinds of parties. Some of them have themes, tacky gifts. Some of them have themes like ugly sweaters. Um, some of them have themes like it's a work party and I want to get out of here as fast as possible. But we're invited to a lot of parties. We're invited to concerts. Anybody go into a concert anytime this week? I'm, we're signed up, right? We went to one the other day, going to another. Just get invited to hear a lot of music. It's a fun time of year. Invited, um, as Trisha and I recall, uh, we were married three days after Christmas. We were married on December 28th. It'll be 32 years this year. Um, we didn't understand fully what we were doing to our families by choosing to get married. It was easy to decorate the church. The tree was already there. The poinsettias were already there. And um, so uh, we're always reminded at this time of year that we get invitations to weddings uh, at Christmas time. It's a season of invitations. Appropriate because the Christmas story itself is an invitation. It's the story of how God's Son became human or the way the New Testament letter of Hebrews described it in the text that Sonia just read for us, he, he was made like us in every way. The Christmas story is the story of how that happened. And that story invites every human being to admit something and believe something. Let's explore that a little bit together this morning. Uh, the Christmas story invites us to admit something. What, what are we going to admit? Well, we're going to admit that we are weak and that we are full of fear. That's the Christmas story invites us just to be honest and say that. Do you know anybody who's weak? <laughs> Do you know anybody who doesn't always feel strong enough to handle what's coming next? Do you know anybody who is afraid? 
um, as it tells the story of Jesus coming into the world, this New Testament letter of Hebrews is written to people who are weak and very afraid. And so it mentions that just straight up, right? Verse 14 of our text just read, since the children have flesh and blood. Now, flesh and blood is a phrase that in Scripture means two different things. One, it means we're physical beings, flesh and blood. We're, we're, we're not ghosts. We're not angels. We, we, we have bodies. But because our world is broken, having a body means you are mortal. Having a body means you are weak. Your body is susceptible to injury and to death and to sickness and disease and fatigue. The children have flesh and blood, so Jesus shared in our humanity. Um, we're also full of fear. One of the things Jesus did when he shared in our humanity, verse 15 says, is that he, he freed people from their fear of death. He, he freed us from a fear that takes us captive and refuses to let go of us. He came to free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. And you might think, you know what? I, I'm not afraid of death. I, I, don't, I don't go around all day, every day, thinking about death. This fear doesn't dominate me. This, this sort of claim that every human being is enslaved by this fear is overblowing it, don't you think? All right. Do you sleep? Do you eat? Do you try to have accidents and get injured? Do you try to protect yourself from sickness and disease? Or do you sign yourself up to go sit in the waiting room at the doctor's office, you know, in flu season? Do you sign yourself up to eat after all the toddlers at the daycare, right? No. Why do we take care of our bodies? We're afraid of what happens if we don't sleep. We're afraid of what happens if we don't eat. We're afraid of what happens if we don't drink water. We're afraid of what happens if we do get sick. We're afraid of what happens if we do try to cross the road when it's not safe. We're afraid of what happens to our bodies. We're full of fear. But we're not just afraid of the physical. There's something more that came through to me this week as I was listening to an interview uh, by a journalist about a book he had just released. And, and he made this statement, the most likely answer to a question, the most likely answer is that nobody knows we are here and nobody would care. He's talking about a question and, and he thinks the most likely answer to it is nobody knows the human race is here. We're alone in the universe. And even if they knew we were here, they would not care. That's how weak and insignificant we are as a civilization. It strikes at this pretty deep fear that not just I... But every human being I know will die alone and unloved. That, that's a fear about something more than just the physical, isn't it? Now, I've I got to tell you where I'm getting this 
from. Don't trust somebody who quotes and won't tell you their sources, right? This is uh, by an author named Garrett Graff. The title of the book is UFO. So you're like, I'm out. <laughs> Forget it. I knew your Christians were like this. Um, you, you get silly people to lead your churches. Um, UFO, the inside story. This is a guy who's worked in D.C. in uh, national security and the intelligence world for a long time. And it was hearing a CIA leader talk about the possibility of extraterrestrial life that got him thinking, I want to see where this story will take me. And so as he kind of unpacks all kind of conspiracy theories and uh, debunks those, he, also, he then shifts to what's the current consensus among astronomers, physicists, people who study the heavens and ponder these things. Are we alone in the universe? And that's when he says, you know, the most likely answer. And this is a guy who's very well educated. He's, he's not just speaking for himself. He doesn't embrace the conspiracy theories he's talking about. He's a pretty sane guy. He's very educated by our standards. He's not alone in thinking this. The most likely answer when you study the universe is that um, there are other beings out there. They don't even know we're here. We're all alone. Nobody cares. That's how we live, and that's how we will all die. And if there were an alien race out there sophisticated enough to fly by our planet, they would be so far advanced over us that they would just laugh. That's the perspective. It captures our fear. Every human being has to admit we are weak. We cannot escape death. And there is nothing we can do to change that reality. And that reality is much bigger than just the physical. We fear the metaphysical, the bigger than physical impacts of death, disrupted relationships, this sense of powerlessness, helplessness, insignificance, this fear of, of what our life will look like and how it will be evaluated when we look back on it at the end. The Christmas story invites us to admit that we are weak and that that kind of fear creeps into our souls and takes hold of us. And Scripture tells us here that God has an adversary named here as the devil, sometimes described as Satan, depending on whether you want to use the Greek word or the Hebrew word to name the adversary. Um, and one of the things that adversary does is uses that fear of death to keep us under a cloud. And the Christmas story invites us to admit that we are weak and that that fear is real in our own story. Of course, the Christmas story doesn't just end there, right? It, it tells us good news. Jesus is qualified to help every human being who is weak and full of fear because he took on flesh and blood and shared in our humanity. He experienced weakness. He experienced fear of dying. And you see the good news for you is you don't ever have to be alone 
whether we're alone in this universe or, oh, wait, we're not alone in this universe. <laughs> there is a God who made it. There is a God who sent his son. We are not alone. Someone has come into our flesh and blood. Someone has come into this world. Someone has come into all of the darkness. It would be an interesting project to take your worship guide this morning and go back through it and find every reference to the hard parts of living in this world. Some of them are metaphorical. They're symbolic. Darkness. Some of them named death straight up. Jesus came into all of that. Your weakness and your fear doesn't scare him away from you. It actually draws him closer to you. It's precisely because we needed his help that we were so weak and couldn't help ourselves, that we were so full of fear and couldn't do anything about death on our own, that drew him to enter into our flesh and blood. A couple questions for you, practically. One is, um, if, if, this is, if this kind of admission is already natural to you because you're a follower of Jesus and you know that, hey, I don't need Jesus unless I start in this place of weakness. What is it that you do that keeps you most aware of your weakness and fear? And, and what could you do to, to stay in that posture more regularly so that you appreciate what it means that Jesus joined you in that weakness? If you aren't yet trusting Jesus in that way, let me ask you another question practical question. Are, are you ready to admit that your life is full of weakness, that your life is filled with fears that you can't escape from unless someone else helps you, especially the fear of death? Are you ready to admit that? What's holding you back? What's keeping you from admitting that? What's the next step you need to take in answering those questions? You probably know somebody who's thought about those questions. Think about having a conversation with them. An invitation. Invitation to admit something and an invitation to believe something. The Christmas story invites us to believe that Jesus has accomplished all of the help that we need. Um, he has defeated our fear, verse 14 says. Jesus came into our world so that by his death he might destroy the one who holds the power of death and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. Jesus has defeated that fear. He has broken the power of the evil one who holds that fear over our heads. Jesus has replaced that fear with confidence. Are we going to die alone? Verse 17 says, for this reason, Jesus had to be made like his brothers in every way. You're not going to die alone if you are a brother or sister of Jesus. He's replaced that fear with confidence that we belong to this family from whom no one can ever remove us. And he's covered the root cause of our fear in the story Scripture tells us. The root cause 
of our fear of death is that death is the penalty for turning away from God and trying to find life apart from Him. And Scripture tells us that Jesus was made like His brothers in every way so that He might make atonement for the sins of the people. Jesus has defeated our fear. He has replaced it with confidence. He has covered the root cause of our fear. Every human being is invited to believe this. It's important for us to say that. In conversation with some of our high schoolers, I learned a little over a year ago from them something uh, pretty revolutionary. They, They said that most of their friends assumed that you're not invited to become a Christian unless you were born that way. You have to be born into a Christian family or a or sort of Christianized culture or born into a church-going tradition, and then you can be a Christian. But if you aren't born into that, members only, you're not invited. That's not true. The whole reason the book of Hebrews is telling this about Jesus is to say the whole human race is invited. Everybody is invited to believe that Jesus has accomplished all of the help that we need. And this is when some of us have to put up our hand and say, hang on a second, when you say believe, I think you mean make believe. Some of us are old enough to remember Mr. Rogers, right? Land of make believe. Little trolley came around the corner, ding, 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 to take you away to the land of make-believe. Like, oh, well, when Christians say believe in Jesus, they're sending out the Jesus trolley to take you off to this place where things aren't real, but you act like they're real anyway because it's fun. And you might learn some good morals there, and then the trolley brings you back into the real world at some point, and you find out it's just puppets on Mr. Rogers' hand. (laughs) Um, Is Christmas just that? That's the Christmas trolley. takes us around the corner. We pretend for a few weeks that we believe all this stuff is real, and then we go about our lives. You ever noticed um, a lot of people die in small English villages on TV shows? Trisha and I have visited a lot of small English villages. We love um, kind of the the murder mystery genre. And I'm just telling you, if you are afraid of death, don't be moving to a small English village. Because there are only 200 people who live there. And 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 through the season, a good 50 of them are going to die. Like, you don't want to go there. And, of course, the little English village always has a little stone church that was built a thousand years ago, and it didn't have electricity, so the wires are all visible on the ceiling and all that good stuff. And, and, the, and it, there's a priest. And the priest, without fail, is the most unhelpful, unrealistic person in the entire show. Oh, someone's been murdered. I'll go light a candle. That'll help. Hey, exception for Father Brown, he's the priest who actually does something and solves, solves the crime, right? But, you know, all the other priests are like, the whole village is in uproar. People are being killed left and right. Let me burn some incense. That'll make it better. 
Everybody's afraid. I'll say some Bible jargon. That'll help, right? Jesus is not that kind of priest. Our text says he's a priest. But he's the kind of priest that doesn't take you to the world of make-believe. He's the kind of priest who comes into the world of reality. Right? What does he do? Well, our text tells us he takes on real flesh and blood. Since the children have flesh and blood, he shared in their humanity so that by his death, he takes on real death. This is not a make-believe person in a make-believe story. This is the world of reality. Real bodies being really broken. Uh, Verse 18 tells us that Jesus faced real suffering. Right? He, he did all of this so that, um, that he himself might suffer when he was tempted, and therefore he'd be able to help you and me when we suffer and we're tempted to let go of our deepest held beliefs because the suffering gets that bad. That's real. That's not the trolley taking me around the corner. That's not the useless priest who says, gobbledygook can make your fear better. This is the priest who says, nothing will make it better unless I die alongside you and for you. Nothing will make it better unless I break the power of suffering and death by going through it myself. That's a real story. Um. This little rhythm we've been using all morning of saying this is God's word, this is our story, that's something our students taught us here at Intel. IDX, Identity in Christ, that's the name of our student ministry for junior and senior high school students, and that's the rhythm they use on Sunday evenings when they're learning from the word, right? It's a great way to capture what it means to believe in Jesus. It means, it's a kind of trust that says, Jesus, I want to take the little story of my life and join it to the bigger story of your life. I want to take the little story of who I am and connect it to that bigger story of who you are. I want to take my fears and join them to this bigger story in which you know what it's like to be afraid and you have broken the back of fear by dying and rising again to a kind of life that cannot ever be taken away. It's a kind of trust that says, I, want, I don't want my story to be mine anymore. That's what it means to believe these things about Jesus. Jesus. This is our story. You're part of it with us. And because you've already taken care of the biggest battles and the greatest fears, I can trust you to be with me when I face smaller battles and my fears. So I'd ask again, if you're a follower of Jesus, what do you do week in and week out, that helps you to stay in this posture of trusting Jesus in that way? 
What is the thing that makes you most able to join your story to his in a regular rhythm? Is that something you need to do more often? Is that something you need to do with other people more regularly because it actually produces better results when you're with others than by yourself? Just asking. Reflect on that. Again, for those of you who aren't trusting Jesus in this way, I would ask you, are, are you ready to do that? Are you ready to believe that Jesus has accomplished all the help that you need? Even if you don't fully understand what that means right now, are you ready to dive in? First time I went to a rental company and they gave me a hybrid car to drive. I don't know how a hybrid works. Y'all got a lot of confidence in me. Hand me the keys to this brand new thing. I got in and drove it anyway. There were still a lot of questions I had. You know what? That's real. You can, you can start trusting Jesus even if you don't know exactly how to turn the thing off yet. You still got a lot of questions about it. That's okay. Are, are you ready? What's holding you back? What do you want to do to dig deeper into answering those questions? The Christmas story is an invitation. It's an invitation to admit that you have needs that have been met and can only be met by someone else. An invitation to join your story to the story of Jesus. Can I pray for us? Lord, give us courage to accept this invitation. Um, some of us think we don't need to because, well, we already did sometime in the past, so Clearly, this isn't for us. No, you're inviting us to know you more closely and more deeply. Some of us think, no, it's all make-believe. Mm, it's not a make-believe story. Lord, give us courage to accept this invitation, to be honest about what we need, and to trust that you have done all that we need. We pray. We pray that your spirit would do his work in every heart. Amen.